And my message this morning is on where the blessing hides, which is a little bit like God works in the darkness, you know. But here's the deal. I want you to know that if your life is a mess, the blessing is always hidden in the mess. It's just how God works. So let's go to the very beginning. Genesis 1.1. And it's the beginning, and God is a God of hope. Romans 15.13, God calls himself the God of hope. May he fill you with all joy and peace as you trust him in believing so that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you abound or overflow with hope. And hope is the confident expectation that everything God said is true. And we win. Okay, he wins, but, he, but we're, if we're in him, we're part of the winners. Okay, Genesis 1.1, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. So initially, God, like he takes care of, where did everything come from? Why is there anything and not nothing? All these questions, you know. He created the heavens, and then the focus becomes earth, and the earth, ha-aretz. You know, so the real focus, are, that's where we all live, right? And no, no extraterrestrials here. John 1.1, 1, 1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. You know, so we find out, like, God didn't just make it happen, but he did it through his Son. Through Jesus, who the word has made flesh, we beheld his glory. So this just makes it all clear. Where did everything come from? All that is, is from God and from his creative word. All reality, matter and energy, time, space, continuum, all those kind of physical things. The starry vastness of the universe and specifically this planet and all the stuff that's happening here. And so it, it's, you know, this existential, invisible, eternal, only wise God, you know, and the blessed and only potentate in the King James, who's indescribable and everlasting, he reveals himself to us. And that's how we know the source of existence, why things are, where they came from, and what is real. And what's real isn't just what you think is real. What's real is what God has created. Jesus said, I am the truth. You could, re- you could translate that, that, I am reality, the reality. There's no reality outside of that which I've spoken into existence. And, but then we have, so it's awesome. But immediately, a problem is introduced, Genesis 1-2. And the earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the water. So this is really interesting because right in the second chapter, we have disorder. The earth was without form and void. These are two Hebrew words which rhyme, which is unusual in the Hebrew language. And tohu and bohu, you know, you may hear those occasionally from preachers, no one else. But it, it just is like... Preachers like to say these things. Okay, but it, these, it means it was chaotic, it was unstructured, it was void of potential and apparent purpose. It was like desolate, desert. And uh, these words are used again in, in the prophets to describe the waste of, of the wilderness. And actually, God said, I did not create the earth to be tohu and bohu. So, and obviously, this wasn't his plan, and it's not how he created it, which raises the question, like, well, how did it get that way? Which introduces nobody knows. 
Yay! How many like it that you don't know everything, you know? That we can't be experts on everything. And if somebody tells you and they have the perfect chart, they're probably wrong. Anyway, so far, everybody who had a perfect chart has been wrong. But they, you know, people go, oh, that explains everything. Okay, so, uh, but the earth got this way. So one of the possibilities is that this rebellion that happened in heaven that both Ezekiel and Isaiah talk about that involved the rebellion of Lucifer, the, uh, the worship leader of heaven who wanted to be God, I will ascend, and, and he gets kicked out of heaven, and we find out in the last book of the Bible that he brought one-third of all the angels with him, that earth was their prison. So isn't it just like God to send revival, restoration, and reformation to the prison? <laughs> oh, he, he's... He's not doing it to rehab the convicts. He's doing it to say, look, you guys, you'll never be God. I'm God. There is no other, which is the message of many of the prophets. So, so the earth, but that's a possibility of how the earth got to be. The other possibility is God just made all the stuff, matter and matter and energy, time, space, and then he ordered it. But somehow God is always putting things that are a mess into something that's beautiful. And so he speaks, and, uh, and when he speaks, things happen. Genesis 1-3, and God said, let there be light, and there was light. First thing he created. By the way, you were once darkness, now you're light. So you're the beginning of the new creation. You're like the promise of what's going on. John 1-3 puts it this way, all things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. He's, but here's what's interesting is he's not, he's a God who speaks and God said, Vayumer Elohim, it's used 10 times in Genesis. And then it also says, and God saw seven times. And what did he see? He sees the good, which by the way is, is a secret of happiness that we see good. Like if you read the book of, of Ecclesiastes, which not isn't too many people's favorite book, but there's this amazing refrain that says there's nothing better than that you enjoy your life and you find, and a lot of translations say, and you find pleasure in your toil. But literally in the Hebrew, it's, and you see the good in what you're doing. Why? Because God sees the good. Anyway, he, so he's, he, he speaks and sees, in fact, it's the very first name that somebody just named him because of an appearance was God appeared to Hagar in all her distress and spoke to her. And she said, she prayed and God spoke. So, and she said, not only that he is a God who heard her, but he's the God who sees, Elroy, one of the first names. And, and then the, the well is named Be'er Laharoi, the the well of the living one who sees. It's very interesting that in his, in his ponderings, Isaac would often go to this well, even though all this happened long before him. Uh, so, okay, so, but this is a pattern that God makes everything, that it's all good, and where, he's going someplace with it, and we find it in verse 26. He said, let us make man, let us make the human, Adam, in our own image and in our likeness. And so he made him. And he said, uh, he cr and let them have dominion. See, and it wasn't a dominion like we're just gonna wreck the earth. It was a dominion like we're going to bring God's 
government, his ways, his wisdom, his kindness, his love to the, all of creation. So God appoints the humans as the stewards of his creation. And, uh, and he created us in his own image. He created us male and female. He created them. It's very interesting that this is not a social construct. This is embedded in creation. It's part of reality, that it's binary, male and female. It's not something that you're unkind if you don't agree with that there's 53 genders. Okay, so uh, just moving on. And then God, once his image was in creation, he looked at it and he said, it's very good. The thing, Hebrew is a very a explosive and expressive language. And the word tov means good, but it has this idea that it can't get any better. And then at once the human, his image and likeness is in creation, he sees it and sees all the potential and behold, it's very good. Meod tov, meod means it's excessive, it exceeds. And so it's like, wait, it's already, it can't get any better and now it's better than that. That's how God made it. But instantly, there's a threat, there's catastrophes, his promises are there, his purposes are there, but threats and catastrophes are just part of this existence because maybe we were created on the prison planet. <laughs> Nobody, nobody's done a BBC series on that, but um, Genesis 3, in the, God makes, you know, Genesis 2 tells us about Adam and Eve and, and all the these details and relational amazing things of, of Adam and Eve, male and female, and uh, we can't go there today, but, but, it, it's, uh, but in the next chapter, the snake's there, the serpent's there. Where did he come from? Maybe he was part of the tohu and bohu mess that was there, but the serpent is wily and he deceives Eve and Adam falls and in Adam we all die and it's tra I mean, this is the greatest tragedy like beyond words that in Adam we all die. And so, the, uh, and so God shows up, rescues them, makes some clothes for Adam and Eve that were comfortable and, uh, and, then he, and he tells them it's not gonna be the same. You know, it's all downgraded now. You are in charge and... Uh, it's gonna take a while, but we'll fix this. And how do they know he's gonna fix it? Because when he speaks to the enemy, he declares the gospel. Genesis 3.15, speaking to the snake, I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your offspring and her offspring, and he will bruise, or the NIV, I think, has the best translation, he will crush your head. You will crush his heel. But I'd much rather have a crushed heel than a crushed head because when you have a crushed head, it's over, baby. So that's what, I mean, God was declaring from the beginning, this won't last. And I mean, this is like, God, why did you do it this way? Just trust me. Isn't that what he says? He says, if you believe, all things are possible. So, so then we have this issue that now we, we, there's like seed of the serpent and seed of the woman. And so there's a distinction between people. So Adam and Eve, you know, they're making, their life's probably still pretty good. You know, the whole planet's been refurbished. It's fresh and shiny and new. They have their first son and Eve names him Cain. Cain means I've acquired a man child from God. Oh, great. But it's not great. 
And then she has a second child, and his name is Abel. And it turns out that Abel is one of the good guys, and Cain is not one of the good guys. I don't know how this works. This is God's business. But Cain kills Abel because God accepted Abel's offering and not Cain's. And maybe, you know, I mean, obviously, he didn't just go from, that was disappointing, to I'm going to kill you, brother. But he, he did. He killed his brother, and God shows up, Cain, where's your brother? He says, what do you think? I'm his keeper? And God says, come on, Cain. His blood's crying out from the ground. You just can't hear it because you're dull and uh, obtuse and blind. And you think you're in charge. Anyway, so, so then a long time later, Seth gets mourned. So this sets up a pattern that there's strife between brothers. It goes all the way through Genesis and that the older will serve the younger. That God's, God doesn't pick the one we think he would. I mean, it's just, this is the way it meant, that the, the firstborn gets it, gets the double portion, it's great, that's the norm, but God's choices go outside of the norm. These are important, otherwise we, we do you ever read scripture and go, huh? You know, like God chose Judah? You ever read about Judah and Tamar and, it, it's, there's a lot of messy stuff in the Bible, which is really interesting because that's what tells us it's true. They didn't try to clean it up and make all these people heroes. They're just heroes because they trusted God in all their trouble. And the blessing was on them in the mess. And God was working in the darkness to bring forth the seed of the woman, which wouldn't happen for thousands of years. And God never forgot or lost track of it. It's just amazing. So we have Seth, we have, you know, things go along. There's the children, you know, the good guys and the bad guys. The children of Cain are all bad. The children of Seth tend to be good. And Enoch walked with God. Methuselah lived a long time. And then, the, but the, the bad guys took over and all the imagination of men's heart was evil continually. Pretty rough. That's Genesis 5. Like all continually and, God, and the earth was corrupt because of that. But Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. And so, so God has, he has a plan, you know, and the ark is there and the flood comes and judges all the evil and cleanses it out. Now, good, we get a new beginning. We get a rainbow, which doesn't belong to the Ashtaroth perversion crowd, but it, it belongs to God, you know? And so, so God <laughs> makes the rainbow and it's a promise. I'm never gonna do this again. We'll do it a different way. We find out it's, it'll be with fire and we'll get a new heaven and a new earth out of it. But meanwhile, he makes his promise with Noah and we think, oh, good, everything's good, but Noah gets drunk. And then his, you know, his son Ham, who I don't know why, but he, he said, man, dad's passed out and naked. You guys want to come see? And they're like, no, you know, and they cover him up. And when he, his hangover was... Uh, cured, it, there was, some, there was a, a curse, not on him, but on his son, Canaan. You know, so it goes on. There's these lines. There's like, there's the seed of the serpent, the seed of the woman. It goes all through scripture. I don't understand it. It's God's choice. But so then the, the good guys start having lots of kids, but eventually they fill up the earth and they don't want to scatter. And so they, they build the Tower of Babel and that's, that's a mess, and God says, man, it, it, they, now they can do anything they want. They have one language, they're one people, 
and nothing will be impossible to them. Sounds like faith, but it wasn't faith. It was, it was like this power of human will and unity. And so he, he comes down at Babel and now we have all these languages and people groups and, and God, God got it done. And out of that mess, that's Genesis 11, Genesis 12, he picks one person, Abram, who was the son of an idol maker in Ur, which is Babylon. And, and he says, Abram, follow me. Leave everything you know, father, people, land, follow me, and I'll give you, I'll make you a great nation, I'll give you a great name, and you'll be a blessing, and all the nations will be blessed in you. And Abram followed him. Okay, so we get to this whole thing, and then we, but Abram, you know, Sarah's Preg, Sarah's barren, so they're getting really old. Like Sarah's 90, Abram's 100, or maybe 99 and 89, when God visits them, and Sarah's barren, and says, this time next year you'll have a son. And meanwhile, they had tried to have their own son with Hagar. All that did was produce strife in the family. Hagar, Sarah's mean, Hagar runs from her. God appears and says, go back, Hagar and I'll bless your son Ishmael too. But so we get, now we finally we get Isaac. Hooray, Abram's 100 years old and uh, he finally got the promise. But he, he lived as, a, he lived, he wandered up until this point. Are you with me? I mean, I, I, I'm trying to make this a story because it gets like, whoa. That's why I love, I decided this year I'm gonna, I've always read the Bible through, but I never worried about the calendar. But this year I thought, hey, I'm gonna do what everybody else is doing. I started with Genesis, you know, I'm in Genesis 25 now and Matthew 15 or 17, something like that. And, uh, and so um, now we get to Isaac and Rebecca. And isn't it strange, Rebecca's also barren. And later Rachel will struggle with barrenness. And later Leah and Re you know, they both have their womb closed for a season. Why would God do this? I think it's just because he wants us to know, my promise comes when I act. And you can't make it happen. You can cooperate, but you can't make it happen. And so, so Isaac, and this is an amazing thing. Isaac's 40 years old, and uh, Abram's getting old, and he sends Eliezer, go find a bride for him. And my take on this is he goes, and he has this whole thing, hey, God, you know, if it's the right one, let her come and, uh, and give me water and also want to water my 10 thirsty camels. And so Rebecca's there and says she's beautiful, she's a virgin, she's like, and my own thought is, I think she's like 13 to 15 years old because of, of her, her attitude, you know, like, like she's there and she goes, oh, hey, you, yeah, I'll give you a drink. While you're at it, would you, like me to, would you like me to water your camels? Like, yeah, okay. So she carries 2,000 gallons of water to water 10 camels. I mean, if they're all thirsty, they can drink 200 gallons of water. I think that's the right amount. Can you imagine that? Like, so I think this is a young girl who's like, she's just excited because she gets to go out and do something and, and be her own person and she bumps into this guy and then he gives her gold bracelets and a ring and he worships God and tells her all this stuff and she's like, whoa. And then they go back, meet the family, the family entertains him. And then Laban, her, Laban who's her brother and some of the relatives, 
they actually don't want her to leave. So they keep, they keep saying to Abraham's servant, hey, you know, why don't you just stick around longer, you know, because we want to really want to say goodbye at least a week, you know, maybe 10 days, maybe 10 years, just stay here. Now, I think if she was 25, she'd go, yeah, like I have a good life. But if she's like 15 and she's got these gold bracelets and this guy from she doesn't know where has come and told her all this stuff, she's like, so they said, well, let's ask her. And she says, what do you think, Rebecca? She says, I'll go. It's just like, you know, <laughs> that's why I think she was very young. But anyway, years go by, like years, 20 years go by, and she doesn't have a baby. And so, so that's where we pick up Genesis 25. Genesis 25, 20. Isaac was 40 years old when he took Rebecca, verse 21. But um, I, Isaac prayed to the Lord for his wife because she was barren. Like, wait a minute. She was chosen, God picked her out, she's gonna have the heir, and she's barren. Like, what's with that? Ah, but the Lord granted his prayer. So we don't know a lot about Isaac compared to Abraham or compared to Jacob, his son, or compared to Joseph, but, but we know that, that, we know two things about Isaac, actually more than two, but two significant things is that when he prayed, God answered him, and the second thing is, that when he sowed, he had, he had like a supernatural blessing on his harvest. We also know that he opened the wells of his father and other things, but these are kind of significant because he actually wasn't a very spiritual person, which we're gonna find out. Like, so there are blessings on your life, and some of you think like, hey, I'm good, God answers my prayer, but maybe, we're good because there's a blessing and a calling on our life, but we're actually kind of dense and obtuse, and we, we really need to say, God, open my heart, speak to me. And I know I'm talking to, like, you guys are hungry, hungry for the Lord, you know? So anyway, but let's continue the story here. And so he prays, and, and the Lord granted his prayer, and Rebecca's wife conceived, which you think, yay. So now maybe she's like 35, right? If she was 15, now 20 years later. And she's pregnant with her first pregnancy. And you're thinking like, oh, it's all great. The children struggled together within her. And she said, if it is thus, why is this happening to me? Literally, like, how can I live? Like, I was never pregnant, and I think Anne was pregnant with our first child when she was 23, 24, something like that. And to me, it was a sign and a wonder. Like, oh, I would just look, go, oh my gosh. And when, like literally, from the back, I couldn't tell she was pregnant. She was like five or six months pregnant. And then she would turn, and it's like, she was kind of skinny, you know, and little. And so it was all out here, you know? <laughs> so, so, and it, anyway, it's not, it wasn't fun. You know, with the, the second pregnancy was very calm, peaceful child that was almost comforting. But the first child would be like, put the foot on the pelvis and the hand on the rib and stretch and then do a flip and do it the other way. You know, and she would be like, ah! Well, what was going on in Rebecca was way worse. You know, I mean, she's got two, and they're fighting. Fighting in the womb? And so she went to inquire the Lord. Verse 23, 
Isn't it interesting that in the mess you could get a revelation? She said, God, why is this happening? And the Lord says to her, two nations, whoa, nations, goyim, are in your womb, in my womb, and two peoples. This is like, you're gonna, there's gonna, this is gonna go on for thousands of years. From within you shall be divided, because actually these are paternal twins, not fraternal twins. They are, or they're fraternal, not, anyway, they're not identical. That's what I mean, two different seeds. And actually one seems to be a seed of one kind spiritually, and the other a seed of the other kind. And uh, can you imagine that? Same father, same mother. The one, now I'm saying to all the kids here, don't worry. If you're here and you're hungry, you're the good kind. <laughs> okay. So parents go, yeah, I knew that was one. <laughs> anyway, the, uh, okay, two nations, okay. But he says there's two nations, they're divided, and one shall be stronger than the other, and the older shall serve the younger. That's odd. But you know, it's kind of a pattern with God. Joseph was chosen over his brethren. David was chosen over his brethren. It's like, so if you're unqualified and people ignore you and you think you're invisible, and, but you have this desire, I'm just saying, don't believe the rejection. Believe the desire to be used by God because his hand was on all these guys. And actually the one who was stronger is gonna end up being the, the younger one. Okay, so, and the older will serve the younger. Now, what's amazing is through this all, it's not like God needs there to be problems so he can do his promise. It's almost like he likes to show off, like there's all these problems and in spite of the problem, he fulfills his promise. If the princes of this world knew who he was, they would have never crucified the Lord of glory because it was their doom. You know, and so Genesis 50, 20, Joseph speaking to his brethren, after dad dies, they think, oh, now he's gonna kill us. He said, look, you intended to harm me, but God intended it for good. I'm just declaring that over you. God intends it for good. So when are days, verse 24. Oh, okay. Uh, now I need speed talking. When her days to give birth were completed, behold, there were twins in her womb. She knew that. Okay, it's a restatement. The first came out red and all his body like a hairy cloak. So they called his name Esau, red. Rufus in Latin. Did you notice that we have these redheads in our announcements all the time? It's like, what's up with that? Okay, anyway. Uh, <laughs> and they're, they're good. They're not, okay, but I just say, but... And then uh, afterwards, verse 26, his brother came out with his hand holding Esau's heel. So his name was called Jacob, the heel grabber. And literally, I mean, or colloquially, it, it could be used like cheater. We're gonna name this guy Red and Harry and this guy Cheater. Okay, so, so uh, and then it said, but isn't it interesting, even at their birth, What's noted with Esau is his appearance. He's like Gaston. If you ever saw the Beauty and the Beast, you know, like, <laughs> and, but what's noted with Jacob is he's doing something. There's a, a movement and an action. And he's not satisfied to be number two. I was talking to Matt and Mark Buckwalter afterwards, and Mark was telling me the woes of being the second born. Anyway, the, 
My two youngest brothers are twins, so I, I know about twins and bless all the twins. But it says, when the boys grew up, Esau was a skillful hunter, a man of the field, while Jacob was a quiet man dwelling in tents. So it sounds like Esau's the dude and Jacob's the wimp. But that's not what that means. Okay, so Esau, when they grew up, Esau was a skillful hunter, a man of the field. Like, so he was out there. But what is, he's actually spiritually dull. Like he just lives his life in the flesh. And then Jacob is a quiet man. And this word quiet, is, is, the Hebrew word tom means has integrity. Now, obviously, he didn't have integrity. It's the same word that describes Job. Job was blameless. And, and it, usually it's used for blameless. But obviously, Jacob had some character flaws. So I think what it meant was he was content and focused. And he just, you know, and he didn't go out in the field. He was, he was in the tents. But actually, where the tents are, it wasn't, like, I've heard people preach this, that, like, Jacob was like the mama's boy, you know. Sorry if that offends anybody. I'm from another generation, so just say, oh, he's old, so he doesn't know it's politically incorrect. But, um, <laughs> but the thing is, now here's what's really interesting. Isaac, who's about, he's like, but let's assume they're at least 15 now, maybe they're 20. Isaac is 75 to 80. And Isaac likes that Esau is a man's man. He's out hunting. He's bringing it home. He likes Gaston, you know. He likes that he brings home pheasants and deer and likes to eat it. And like, but Isaac, even though his prayers are answered, it's not like way in tune. In fact, later you'll find out that he, he's kind of blind and can't hear too well. And he has to sniff to find out if Jacob smells like Esau, you know? So it's, it's a weird story. And, which makes you think, if your family's dysfunctional, it doesn't mean God has left you. There's a blessing in the mess, okay? So, so now, um, but, and not only that, they were bad parents. God forgive me, and if I get to heaven and I have to spend a session with apologizing to Jacob and Rebecca, I'm just gonna say, well, that's how I understood scripture, but it says Isaac loved Esau because he ate his game. Rebecca loved Jacob, it doesn't even say why. <laughs> anyway, but you know, how many know that if you have favorites, it's not good for your children? Like, well, we really like him, but we don't, yeah. it's like, so, but not only, I mean, I guess it's redemptive that she loved Jacob and he loved Esau. But can you see, this isn't really a highly unified model home. They're not gonna do marriage seminars on how to have the perfect family or anything like that. But here's what I think. Rebecca had a promise. I think Rebecca, you know, Isaac's like, eh, yeah, he's kind of a wimp, you know? Like, he's kind of, he's just... Hey, but I like Esau, man. He's out hunting. He brings home the game. I like that venison. I like that pheasant. I might even take him steelhead fishing some winter in California. But anyway, <laughs> it's just bizarre. And, and so, but here's the thing. God fulfills the promise in spite of everything that's going on. So verse 29, we don't know how long later this is, but once, 
when Jacob was cooking stew, and just put this like they're not at home, they're out camping, okay? So I, Esau's going out hunting, and Jacob said, I'll stay here, and he's cooking something up. Like, why? Because he's focused. And he, he was born grabbing his brother's heel. His mom has given him all the promises. He's got faith that somehow what my brother has, I should have. That doesn't sound very holy, and it wasn't, but it was, it's like God uses people's flesh sometimes to, to get them to a place where he can make them holy. I'll, I'll say that. I'd probably get, somebody will beat me up doctrinally on that, but so Jacob was cooking something up, stew, because he knew, you know, he, saw, he hadn't been getting anything. He goes out, he tramps around all day, he comes back in a bad mood, and it says, Esau came in from the field and he was exhausted. He was weary, New King James. He was famished, NIV. Which in both those words, exhausted, weary, famished, they're all possibilities for this word. It was like he was hangry. You have been around and somebody's hangry, you know, like quick, feed the beast, you know. And so he comes in like that. And, uh, you know, Jacob's all set up for this. And... Uh, because you have to wonder, if, if why would he be exhausted and hungry if he had been successful? Okay, verse 30, Esau said to Jacob in the NIV, quick, literally the Hebrew is now, <laughs> let me eat or feed me, let me gulp down, feed me like an animal, some of that red stew. And in the Hebrew, it's repeated twice. He says, that red stew, that red stew. <laughs> it's like, he's making a point. For I am exhausted, I am weary, I am famished. Therefore, his name is called Edom, red. Okay. <laughs> so Jacob said, okay, he's set up. Why? Because he's got something. Faith is the substance of things hoped for. Like, like Rebecca has, this is my opinion, Rebecca has fed this to Jacob, and he has grown to so much faith that he's got the title deed on it already. He's just looking for an opportunity to bring it out of the promise realm into the manifestation realm. And so, so Esau, Jacob says, sell me your birthright now, today. And Esau's answer is, like, he doesn't go like, whoa, wait a minute. Are you kidding? Like, that's the most valuable thing I have is a birthright. Like, I'm the firstborn. Like, I know that the inheritance passes to the birth, the, with the birthright and the name and the lineage, it all goes with the birthright. No, here's Esau's answer. He says, he says, I am about to die. Now, he went from hungry to about to die. Like, you think this guy's a little dramatic? Of what use is a birthright to me? Like, I don't care, I'm hungry. Jacob said, swear to me now. I mean, it literally, it's swear an oath, because he knows, hey, I'm gonna, he'll say, yeah, yeah, okay, you can have my birthright. Give me some food. As soon as he eats, he'll come to his senses and he'll go, hey, wait a minute. I was just kidding. It's not in writing. Nobody witnessed this. As far as I'm concerned, I never said it. I was out of my mind. I plead loca, whatever it is, no, no, no loco mentis or whatever. I'm pleading that I, I was, I, I'm not responsible for what I said because I was hangry. And so Jacob says, Swear an oath to me today. 
now. I've got the witnesses lined up, just like he cooked the stew. He probably had a couple witnesses there. So Esau, I swear before God and these people that I do not care about my birthright. I gladly give it to my brother. Now give me some food. And so he swore to him, and he sold his birthright to Jacob. Then Jacob gave bread and lentil stew, and guess what? He ate it and drank it, and he rose and he went his way. Like, huh, huh. He didn't value it, and it says he despised his birthright, which later in the New Testament we discovered God didn't like this. Okay, so stand up. I've, I've taken a good amount of time here. By the way, I got here today, and <laughs> Anne's in Florida, and somehow my iPad <laughs> was at home. So fortunately, I found Rick Pickens and the tech team, and I sent them my notes, so they just gave me a printed version, so it's great. <laughs> so, uh, but I wanna declare this over you. Promises are not subject to circumstances. And there was promise and blessing hidden in the strife between Jacob and Esau, and actually, it was hidden in Jacob's ambition. Like, there's, there's something, Jesus said, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Don't be anxious about tomorrow. Tomorrow will take care of itself. Sufficient for the day are its troubles. Like, just live in this pursuit. Seek. That was one of Brian's 12, 12 things to do. So Jacob eventually, so Jacob's not sanctified. He's like, he's, you think like, wow, he's bad. And then later, I mean, in his dysfunctional family, he's going to actually get the blessing by deceiving his dad. Now Esau, maybe later he thought, oh, I lost the birthright, but I still have the blessing. So that means everything I do is gonna succeed. That's what the blessing means. You're blessed. John D. preached it last week. You're blessed. You're blessed going out. You're blessed coming in. You're blessed. You're seeking the Lord. You're blessed. There's a blessing of God on you, which means you're getting better than you deserve. You're also getting trouble because your blessing goes into the headwind, the headwinds of this broken world. In this world, you'll have tribulation. Be of good cheer. I've overcome the world. And so there's something where Jacob gets the birthright. Later, he'll get the blessing. And then after many years of being sanctified by his uncle Laban's dysfunction, he will wrestle with God face to face. And he'll say, I know I got the blessing, but I want your blessing. I won't let you go till you bless me. God dislocated his hip. Ouch. And he still wouldn't let go. He says, will you give up now? Come on. The sun's coming up and I must get back. It's like, this is the Dracula appearance of God, you know, like, the sun is rising quick. No, I don't know why, but it's like, but it's interesting, like, the, the transaction had to occur in the darkness. God didn't show up until it got dark. He jumped him in the darkness. And I'm going to wrestle with Jacob. And, when, and he says, I won't let go until you bless me. And so God said, okay. Not because he's in pain or because he's like, oh, please, Jacob. He just said, okay, Jacob, I see you really want this. What's your name? Jacob. And he doesn't like his name, cheater. He says, I call you Israel. 
for you've wrestled with God and man and have prevailed. There's, see, this is faith. Faith goes after things. It becomes, it's the, convic, it's the assurance of things we hope for. It's the conviction of things we can't see that it gets so real. One, one possible meaning of the word substance of the things it's hoped for is that it's a title deed. This word was used sometimes in, in Greek culture for the title deed. Like I, have you ever, you've, you've meditated on something, you've focused on something. Jo- Joseph was a focused man. Not Joseph, Jacob, sorry. All the J's, they get mixed up. J- Jacob was a focused man and what he had meditated on had become his. So even in great pain, even you can cripple me, but I'm not letting you go until you bless me because I know that's my heritage. My mom drilled this into me when I was a little boy. All the pain I went through with Uncle Laban, all the dysfunction with Leah and Rachel and their handmaid, it's like, I don't care, I'm going, I won't let you go, kill me if you want. And God blessed him, changed his name to Israel. I'm telling you, some of you, it, it doesn't please God when you're not hungry, when you're not thirsty. Like, it's not like he hates you or anything, it's just like he responds to our thirst. Jesus said, come to me, all who are thirsty. On the last and great day of the feast, you'd think, hey, we're feasted out, we're not thirsty. But he's calling to those that you're not satisfied. You still, you know there's promises, you know there's expectations. You had it in your imagination when you came here to the Feast of Tabernacles that you were gonna have an encounter and you have and you're not satisfied. Come, come and drink and keep drinking, and that drink will become rivers that bless the nations. This is like all through scripture. So I just wanna bless you. And I do wanna call you, if, if you're thirsty, you know, this is for you today. So I wanna ask you this, and you can raise your hand, okay? Do you ever feel like you've been set aside, ignored, you're unqualified? How about David? He was ignored. He was set aside by his own father and by all his brothers. You're overwhelmed, you're drowning in circumstances. You're unqualified, like God, I, you, you have this in my heart, but I don't know what I'm doing and I tell people and they smile at me and go, ha that's nice. <laughs> no one takes me seriously. This is for you. So here's what we do, we pray. I wanna pray for you to activate hope and then we're gonna make a declaration and ask God to increase our faith. Because faith is not just like, you know, it does mean I trust, I trust, I trust. But it also is, it's the conviction of things you hope for, like it's mine, it's already mine. God's got this. I, you know, it may look like I'm a total loser and maybe I'll, look, I'll die looking like a total loser, but when I get to heaven, great will be my reward in heaven. And that lasts forever. Sometimes we get discouraged because we're just focused like, hey, I've been believing this for 15 years and it hasn't happened, I'm done, God. Like, well, 15 years is nothing. Abraham was 100 years old when his first child, you know, when Isaac was born, not his first child. Okay, just saying. 
So I want to I want to declare this over you. I want to pray, God of hope, would you fill everyone here who's thirsty, who's hungry, who's believing promises that we haven't yet seen, but we hang on to them. God, that we're we're looking forward to your parousia, your manifestation in this life, and your coming at the end of this age, and the new heaven and the new earth. God, God of hope, increase, fill us with all joy and all peace that we'll carry your presence and we'll carry your shalom, your completeness in our daily lives. And then, as we trust you, this overflows and we abound, we overflow with hope every place we go that you become a hope source, a spring of hope in the midst of a hopeless world. And I want to I want to pray God increase our faith. But I want us to pray it together. This is a simple prayer. Can you say God increase my faith? Now let's say it all together loud and like we're desperate. God increase my faith. In Jesus name, you know, like he knows it, he hears it. He loves it. Help my unbelief, increase our faith. That's what the disciples say when Jesus would talk to them. Increase our faith. Now that's your prayer. And I'm going to make a declaration over you that your faith is increased and that the breakthroughs will happen in the midst of the dark times. In the midst of the dark time that the blessing is hidden in the darkness. In Jesus' name. So I'm, gonna, I'm just going to pray over you and release you. May the God of peace, the God of shalom, soon crush Satan under your feet. May the God of peace, the God of shalom, soon crush Satan under your feet. Can you say amen to that? Amen. 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 Okay. And now may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you because grace saves us. Grace sets us free. Grace allows us to do things we could never do ourselves. Grace is God's ability. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. God bless you. I hope you have a great week. And if you're hungry and if you're thirsty and you've got time, come up and we've got an amazing ministry team to pray for you. There's healing, there's breakthrough, all that. Bless you.